is funny, just during worship, I wrote down Isaiah 55, hunger and thirst. I wrote down John 7, 37. I wrote down Ephesians 1, 18, which you, you prayed into all three of those. And I was like, did you read my notes? <laughs> those were, so I just, I feel like the Lord's just on this right now. So just to hold in this, uh, the, the, the Lord is requiring a hunger and a thirst. And uh, he's asking for those to hunger and thirst. And I'm just going to, so, yeah, uh, Lord, we say yes to you. Lord, you, you call out to us. There's a, this, this is so in John 7. I'm just going to read this. Uh, this is Jesus at the end of the feast, and he calls out, and he cries out. He says, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. Lord, we are thirsty. Lord, I pray that there would be a thirst. It would make us thirsty. <laughs> Only for you. Lord, I pray that there would be nothing else in this world that would quench our thirst. There's nothing else in this world that satisfies. You're the only one that satisfies. So Jesus, we look to you. We say yes to this offer that those that are thirsty to come and drink. And we say, fill us with those streams of living water that flow from within you to within us as, that, as we abide in you, that there's a flowing of this living water that flows through us. It flows through us, not that we can just be satisfied on our own, but so that there is this life that, that flows into us, and then there's fruit that forms, that comes out of us. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have sent your Spirit to be in us, but not only to be in us, but to rest upon us. Lord, we say, fill us with your Spirit. Baptize us with your Spirit. Lord, we hunger and thirst for more of you. Just that, that I, Psalm 63 is the other one. It says, oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. Father, I pray that there would be a seeking of you in this season, in these days, in this time. Lord, we're moving into the last days, the last times. The time is short. <laughs> Lord, may we make the most of every opportunity. And it starts with this seeking you, saying yes to you, filling us with everything that you have for us. You say that our, my soul thirsts for you and my body longs for you in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. You are the water. You are the one that, that provides all of our thirst, that, that satisfies everything. It says, I have seen you in the sanctuary. Lord, I thank you that, that we see you. Lord, you say that blessed are those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, I pray that we would see you in the sanctuary, in the secret place, that we would come into that place. That scene is not just with physical eyes, but it's with the eyes of our heart, that they would be enlightened, open, that we would know you, that we would yada you, that we would know the depth and the intimacy of who you are. It's that place of that we would become like you, that we would walk so closely with you. 
walking in step with you by your spirit, led by your ways, knowing your ways, trusting in your ways, no matter what it looks like, that we wouldn't look with uh, our worldly eyes, but we would have our hearts set upon you, wholehearted devotion set upon you, not a divided heart, not one that's split and looking at different options and different things, that we just, we lay it all upon you. We say our life rests upon you because your love is better than life. It says, my lips will glorify you. Lord, I pray that our lips would glorify you in here in the sanctuary and wherever we are on the streets, that our lips would glorify you, that we would sing of your praises. It says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands, and my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, and with singing lips my mouth will praise you. Lord, I thank you. This is that place that we say we will praise you. We will be satisfied by you, by you alone. There's no one else. There's none like you. So, Lord, let our hearts be so turned towards you. And, Lord, I, I just see that as in that Isaiah 55, as we hunger and we thirst for you, as we go after you, Lord, I thank you that you are you're expanding our hearts. You're opening our hearts to, to more of you. You're revealing more of you to us. So, Father, I pray that you would Reveal yourself to us. Show yourself to us. Lord, we want to see your glory. We want to know your goodness. In these days, Lord, there is nothing else that we desire but just to know you, to know your love, to know that love, and to give that love. In Jesus' name. thank you for oh I just pray that seeking after him that searching Lord increase it in our hearts no matter how long we've been a believer Lord don't let us get complacent with that increase that stir it ignite it like a fire Lord within us fire. Stir within us that fire. Lord, we need a season like this. I just want to encourage you guys. We're, we're going to do a fast next week. I've just kind of been doing these in a more regular way, these three-day fasts to kick off the month. And I want to encourage you Fast and pray for this, <laughs> for the reach, for the
for the hunger, for the thirst, for the longing. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And I find when I set myself to ask for it anew and afresh that the Lord is so faithful to renew hunger for God. Where you're just like, I just I gotta be with him. I gotta be following him. I gotta be in his will. I gotta be ministering and telling people about him. Like it's all of it. It's just all of it. <laughs> he says, he calls that spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. Thank you, Lord, for this. I pray renew it in me, renew it in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Luna. Awesome. Well, I'm going to give this mic to Mike, and I'll take a, a Vox 2 here. Wayne, are you back there? Oh, good. Oh, oh, no, keep the echo on. That makes me feel like I have authority. Power. <laughs> I'll jump in and say, I agree. We can laugh in the presence of the Lord, right? Awesome. Well, we are, um, Wayne's dialing me in here. We are being led by the Holy Spirit and we're continuing our journey of that just as a church, as a ministry, as a men and women of God. Mike and I had a conversation this morning after our leadership team meeting, and we were just talking about a few things, and he was sharing with me some things that were on his heart um, from just reflecting on the Welsh and Azusa Street revivals that happened. There was a, in 1904, a big revival in Wales, called the Welsh Revival, 100,000 people in Wales came into the kingdom. Um, a beautiful thing. And not that much later, in 1906, something broke out in Los Angeles, California, at 312 Azusa Street. That was the, that was the uh, address of the building. Uh, with men who had been encountered and, and the Lord had given them a hunger for revival, uh, a guy named Frank Bartleman and a guy named William Seymour. And when they met and started running together, this thing got ignited with about 50 or 60 that were around them as well that were kind of all in. But they kind of emerged as, as the main voices. William Seymour was the main voice, but Frank Bartleman, he, uh, he journaled a lot of it and chronicled a lot of it and was just a man of prayer. Frank was kind of like the 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 brother Nash, what Mike spoke, spoke on uh, on Sunday, what brother Nash was to uh, Charles Finney. Brother Nash would go into the city and pray for breakthrough and then message Charles Finney in the second great awakening of America, hey, I've got breakthrough in the city, you can come preach here now. And then Charles Finney would come and preach and have crusades and they've just seen mass salvations. That's what Frank Bartleman was to the Azusa Street Revival. He was this intercessor that God just gripped, and he labored in prayer for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and then met William Seymour, who was a traveling evangelist, and he was laboring in power, in, in 
in prayer for a move of the Holy Spirit. And when those guys met, man, it just exploded. So we were reflecting on that. Um, and so I just, we're going we're gonna to spend some time. Uh, Mike's actually going to read out of a book. I know he preaches against books, but he's going to read. I'm just playing. He doesn't preach against books. It's not, but it's about, we don't follow books. We follow the Lord. Yeah, we follow the Lord. But um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to throw no. you No, No, I, I rarely read books. And, yeah. and Marcus is like, well, you must have read this book. And I'm like, no, I actually didn't read this book. I opened it up to the middle and I started there. To me, when you, mark, when you have that many marks in a book, that, that's, you've read a book. <laughs> I skipped the first 116 pages, and I just jumped right in. <laughs> well, like, that's just, just the intro. He was sharing his heart in this, and this is, this is something that I've been encouraged by. The story of the Azusa Street Revival, the testimonies from it, I've just been encouraged for literally 20 years. Um, and so as he was reading it, it was stirring things in my heart, but also... What we were noticing was, and this is not to toot our own horn, this is, not, this is not anything, but we were noticing a similar way God was leading this group of people in the Azusa Street Revival. The Lord's leading us in a similar way. He's increasing our hunger for prayer. He's increasing our dependence on being led by the Holy Spirit in all things. Um, and there's about three or four other things that, as he was reading these quotes, I was like, wow, God is doing this. I wonder if we just talk about this tonight and invite our community into this. So um, do you want to start there or do you want to start on the other thing? No, we can start here. Yeah, let's start yeah, here. Let's start here. Yeah. You're, already, you're already in it. So yeah, I'm already in let's, let's, let's go. <laughs> I pushed you in um, already. Yeah. So it's interesting how the Lord works. So my dad, he has, uh, uh, he's collected quite a number of books over the years, and uh, this is one of the books. Yeah. <laughs> he said he wants it back, but he can't have it back now. Um, so he just said, he said, hey, if there's books that you want, uh, come and get whatever you need or whatever you want. And, and normally I would just be like, yeah, I, I mean, because <laughs> I, I, I rarely read a book, and people hand me books, and I'll look at them, and and if, if it doesn't jump off the page, like right off the bat, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to stick with the Bible. And, and it's just this firsthand revelation. But, but there are times when the, the Lord will just stir my heart in something. And, and I have to say, a lot of times, Rick Joyner is someone, there's certain people that really, like, hit me. And, uh, and I feel like Rick Joyner just has such a prophetic understanding. And some of the things that he's written... In the past years, I've, I have read some of his books, uh, the the quest, um, just a f he, yeah the final quest. Uh, there's a few books that I, I would encourage you. He is a he is a great reader, but first read the word. <laughs> um, so so what, where I was going with this is is I felt like the Lord just said, look at the revival books and uh, take those and just begin to to kind of read over them and and get to know. Like, what was ha what's happened in the past there? And so I just went through all the books that my dad had and uh, grabbed all the, revi the revival books I could find and, um, and have just kind of been pouring over them. And this one just really hit me. And there's some things in here. As I was reading this, I felt like the Lord was just stirring in my heart. And so I'm just going to read a few things. I've got a few things tabbed. I won't read them all. 
I can't tell you the name of the book. <laughs> it's called The Power to Change the World, The Welsh and the Azuzu Street Revivals, and it's by Rick Joyner. And uh, no, you haven't, you haven't read it because <laughs> it hadn't even been broken. Like the, so uh, um, so as, as Marcus was talking, there was, there was really two key people, Bartleman, Frank Bartleman and William Seymour, that, uh, that were the, the key people of the, the Azusa Street Revival. And when you look at this, people will, it's said that the Azusa Street Revival is the greatest revival ever, or the most impactful revival ever to hit the face of the earth. It's had more impact than any other revival. And, uh, and it's, it's like still having impact. And it's still yeah. having, yeah, it's still having a massive impact around the world. Interestingly, the, it, it, it was sparked from the Welsh revival. And, uh, and it was a pastor that went over to the Welsh revival and he came back and he has started up a church and, and there was just a, a fervor and a passion that he said, I want to I wanna see that. What's happened there, I want to see it happen here. And, uh, and I think there is something to that, that, um, yeah, there's a stirring in our hearts. And he's like, when you see something, uh, it's kind of like when somebody does a healing uh, and you're like, oh, wow, the Lord can do that. It's all of a sudden that there's something that stirs your heart. So um, this was... This is Frank Bartleman, and he's, he's, there's some quotes in here from him. And I want you just to hear this. There's a, there is such a hunger and a thirst. When, when the revival comes, when you, every revival that comes, there's repentance, there's hunger, there's thirst, there's a dependency upon God. And it always, it always it happens in ways that, that people would never expect. It's always that uh, he, he, he confounds the wisdom of the wise. And, uh, and here, I mean, this is, you got to realize, like, this is a time for, for William Seymour we were talking about in the back room. I mean, this is 1904, 1905, 1906. This is back when slavery was at its, like, or not slavery, but, but I'm sorry, not slavery. But, the, yeah, the Jim Crow, yeah, it's, it was a time, uh, I, I mean, there still was that. There was, yes, a, yeah, he was, yes. his parents were former slaves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was it was a rough time, and yet this man, the Lord raised up this this black man, to be the guy uh, that leads it. It is so beautiful that the Lord would do that, and then unite blacks and whites in a time when when it didn't it wasn't happening back then, and He was bringing people together. That interracial, which is what He desires, it's never meant to be apart, <laughs> but but so cool. The, the greatest, imp, most impactful revival was, was, was here in this, um, this African-American community in Los Angeles that nobody would have ever expected that that's where it would happen and everyone would come together in that place on little 312 Azusa Street. Um, and so realize that the Lord does things in powerful ways. The Welsh revival was started by teenagers uh, and and a, a young guy, Robert Evans, in his early 20s, and his sister, who was, I think she was 18 or 17 years old, yeah. And so it's not, it, again, it just, it, it's that the, it's the foolishness of man is what the Lord actually uses to confound the wisdom of the wise. And, uh, and I just, I think as we let this kind of sink into your heart, don't ever have a presumption or, or a way that you think something's going to happen because more than likely the Lord will not do it that way. 
And, uh, and don't ever, we cannot try to look at something that has happened and say, well, let's, let's just follow that and then it'll happen again. I see, we see so many people like, well, let's just follow the Acts model and then that's, you know, this will be the best thing. No, no, no. We follow the Holy Spirit. We're just led by the Holy Spirit. And there's a hunger and a thirst that we're to have. And uh, when we do that, I think we'll see revival. I believe we're going to see revival. I believe the Lord's going to give us revival in this place. But it's not going to come the way we think it's going to come. So the sad part is I think even those that are crying out for revival, many that are crying out for revival will actually be offended when revival hits. Don't be those. Uh, So this is something. uh, This was right prior to the revival, but there was just this fire that was being lit in the hearts of people there. And, and uh, Bartleman, Frank Bartleman writes this. He goes, my whole being seemed to flow down before him. This was, he's just in the presence of the Lord. Like wax before a fire, I lost all consciousness of time or space. Being conscious only of his wonderful presence, I worshiped at his feet. It seemed veritable. A, oh, it seemed a veritable mountain of transformation. I was lost in the pure spirit, and the Lord had said nothing to us, but only overwhelmed our spirits by his presence. He had come to strengthen and assure us for his service. We knew now we were workers with him, fellowshippers of his sufferings, in the ministry of soul travail. Real soul travail is just as definite in the spirit as natural human birth pangs. The simile is almost perfect in its sameness. No soul has ever been born without this. All true revivals of salvation come this way. And uh, so what's really interesting is just a few couple weeks ago, Corey Russell uh, was talking about this, about this travail. And this is those birth pangs. This is that, that place of he is birthing something, and he's going to use us. And when there's, that, like, when there's that thing going on inside of you that you feel like is about to explode, press into it. Because that's the Lord actually birthing something for this region, and he's birthing it in this time. So I just want to encourage you. I know, and people are going to go, <laughs> like, well, this person's crazy. Let me say, Frank Bartleman... He, they thought he was crazy. Uh, and and here's, so here's the part, though, that really caught me when I opened up this book. Uh, this is the sad part, I think, is that people start, there's a fervor, there's a, like excitement, okay, revival's coming, here we go. And then there's that, ah, it's not coming. It's not really coming. We thought it was going to come. And, uh, and this, is what, this is what Rick Joyner said. Uh, this is about the, uh, the, the Zuzu Street Revival. He says, after several months of such an intense level, many began to faint and drift away. The spiritual heat that was building began to ebb. And this is, he goes, it was like the children of Israel leaving Egypt with such zeal, only to have it wither quickly in the wilderness they had to cross before getting to the promised land. How many times the Lord gives us a promise, he, he says, this is what's going to happen, and we're, we're excited, we're going after it, and then there's that perseverance, and we're like, ah, 
yeah, this isn't working. And we kind of, it just starts to ebb and it starts to go back. And we, we lose that fervor and that fire to go after the things that the Lord has. And I feel like sometimes we're in that, we're in that wilderness and there's a, there was a testing of their hearts in the wilderness. And I believe the Lord actually tests our hearts before he'll pour out his spirit. Not because he's trying to be mean or, or, uh, or see if, you know, see if we can get an A or a B. What he's doing is he's testing us to see if we can handle the very thing that he's about to release. And, uh, and he'll hold it back. He held them there for 40 years before he actually brought them into the promised land because their hearts weren't ready for it. And it actually took another generation. Let's not let it take another generation. <laughs> so he says it's like the children of Israel leaving Egypt with such zeal, only to have it wither quickly in the wilderness as they... Uh, in the wilderness they had to cross before getting to the promised land. The same thing had happened just before the outbreak of the Welsh revival. So here it was happening for the, for the Zuzu Street revival. It had happened in the Welsh revival. He's, he's explaining how it happened with, even with the Israelites when they left Egypt for the promised land. And then it happened on the day of Pentecost. It says, as well as before the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was given to the church, over 500 had seen the resurrection or the resurrected Christ, and they were instructed to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. But only 120 were left when the baptism came. Really interesting that you have 500 that see the resurrected Christ, but then there's this time frame. There's this 40 days, like, ah, is this really going to happen? There's only 120 that are in the upper room that are there when the Holy Spirit comes and, ba and there's a the baptism with fire. We talk about the 120. We think it's amazing, and it is. But what about the other 300 and whatever, 380 that, <laughs> that missed out, that, that, that weren't there when the baptism hit, when the Holy Spirit came and fell? So, and, and Jesus said, he goes, wait, tarry here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so uh, I just feel that like, this is that part, I just feel that we cannot allow this, uh, like the weariness uh, to overtake us. This is a time, and I feel like it's the body of Christ. We're going to come together. We're going to strengthen each other. We're going to encourage each other in this season, in this time. And, uh, and there may be, I, I hope there's not a dry season. I don't want there to be a dry season. But, but if there is, are we going to go, well, I guess we missed it? Or maybe what we thought was happening is actually isn't going to happen. Or in those times, are we going to say, no, we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to press in even more, and we're going to say, God, bring revival in this time. And I, I don't think it takes a whole lot of people. It's not going to take an entire church to, to do this. I think it's going to take a few people that are going to be the ones to say yes. It took just a couple of people. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I'm just feeling, as you were saying that, um, I think this is where the other thing we were talking about this morning kind yeah. of coincides with that. Um, when you're pressing into the Lord, man, the enemy wants nothing more than for you to stop. And there's that encouragement from Jesus. He says, do not let the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, or the pride of no, that's not it. Pride of life? Is that it? Okay. Pride of life. Keep that seed that is sown in your heart from bearing fruit. And 
and I've seen so many, and I've been uh, uh, guilty of it myself, that in seasons where I'm pressing into the Lord, it's just like a, if you haven't read Mike's email, you're going to read about squirrels and how squirrels are our, kind of our distraction. It's a really good email, by the way. Really good encouragement. And this is what he writes about, that sometimes like a dog just sees a squirrel and his whole world is consumed by just something that ran by and he changes directions and goes the other way. Let me just stop. So, yeah, to, to that squirrel. Yeah. So we have a golden retriever. Oh, yeah. um, and we were talking about it this morning. Our, this gold, we have this, this uh, squirrel that comes into our backyard. And, uh, and it, cons- it torments our dog. It consumes every thought of our dog. And so our dog loves to go out and will just sit out um, in the morning time with Christy. And Christy opens up the gate. And we back up to this park and open space. And so the dog will just go out and kind of sit out there and chew on a bone or something. But when the squirrel is there, it like ruins his day. Because he can't move, and, and he gets consumed by the squirrel, and it'll be up in the tree, and our dog will literally, I mean, it'll sit there for hours, and it will just stare up at the tree and watch this squirrel. And even, and Christy was saying the other day, she's like, she didn't, the squirrel wasn't even there. It was like something was rustling in the trees. It was a bird or something, but our dog Winston thought it was the squirrel. And so for the next hour, he didn't move. He didn't go out and enjoy the you know, the open space and chew on the bone and just kind of hang out, relax, and run around and play. He, had, he was so focused on that squirrel that wasn't even there. And, and the Lord was just telling her, like, don't allow these distractions. Like, take us away from the very thing, the joy that the Lord has set before us, the things that he has set before us, that we would get distracted on these, these squirrels, these little things that, that come up. And I, I was just seeing, like, well, go ahead. You want to? Great. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I, I was feeling just that, uh, and Luna was actually uh, talking about it. She's like, yeah, I've been gardening, and, and in these, just the sower and the seed, when you look at those scriptures, it says it's the, it's the, uh, it's the yeah, it's the weeds, that, these things that choke out the fruitfulness of life. And, and I feel like these are, these are things, I, I didn't write this in the email, but it's, it's, the, it's the pleasures of life. It's these things that we, we get so caught up in that actually take us out of what the Lord has for us. It's the, it's the, uh, the riches of life, and it's the cares of this world. Uh, those are things that actually they, it chokes out the fruitfulness of life. And I think those are kind of squirrels that we get, we get so focused on just take, for example, our finances. Something happens with our finances, and all of a sudden, squirrel. And we can't get our eyes off of that. We know God's good. We know He's faithful. He's, he's, we, we say, yeah, we put our trust in Him, but not right now because I got a squirrel, <laughs> and I'm on the squirrel, and I can't get my eyes off of that squirrel. And, and it takes us out of that, that, that walking in that position with the Lord. And, and what it does is it actually hardens our heart. It, it creates a hardness in our heart where we can't see and where we can't hear. We can't understand the ways of the Lord and what he actually has for us in the season. It's almost as if the Lord is like, he's like, I'll give you what you want. You can be satisfied with what you want. If you want to be satisfied with riches and pleasures and the cares of this, I'll let you be satisfied that, by that. Or if you want to separate yourself from that and cry out to be satisfied by me. I'm just thinking of Isaiah uh, Psalm 63 that he prayed for. My, my soul will be satisfied as if I've eaten the richest of food. 
That's our promise from God. But he goes, are you going to set yourself apart? Are you going to wait for me? Are you going to be the one that's waiting on me and I'm going to act on your behalf because you're asking me? And I just, as Mike was saying that, I'm like, I, I want to renew this call to be satisfied by God. And what I'm feeling about the Azusa Street, what if, what if there was a community that just said, we're going to press in for a move of the Spirit, not just so that we're satisfied by God, but those that don't know Him can experience the raw power, the prophetic Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit, glorious presence-filled worship. What if there's a community that went, we're, we're actually going to set ourselves apart and we're going to labor for that. And we're just not going to give up until the Lord gives us that. There's a verse that really got on my wife's heart. Oh my gosh, I'm turned right there. I didn't even realize it. That, that gave me goosebumps. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, there's a verse that the Lord gave my wife and it's right in front of me. I promise I did not pre-do that. She was praying out of Isaiah 64. And it, it starts with this. Oh Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence. It's Isaiah remembering Sinai. And he actually has the boldness to say, oh Lord, would you do Sinai again? Now we're crying out for Azusa Street. Isaiah's crying out for Sinai. Isaiah had a little bit more faith than what we did. As fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, this is why Isaiah wants God to come down to make your name known to your adversaries. And so he's crying out for it, and he's crying out for God to act for the one who is patiently waiting for him. But he makes this statement. He kind of digresses. He says, God, there is no one who calls upon your name. And this phrase got a hold of my wife. There is no one who stirs himself up to take hold of you. And I, think, I feel like that's what we're touching in some of the stuff with William Seymour and Frank Balderman, they stirred themselves up to lay hold of God, the manifest presence of God, the power of God, the presence of God. And that's a good labor. Now, do we sit in a room and that's the only thing we do? I don't think so. But I think there's going to be some that are caught up in a spirit of prayer that, that all they can do is fast and pray for a season. Anyway, let's go on. Let's, let's get into your book a little bit more. Yeah. I'm just going to hit a few more things. I'm not going to hit all of this, but um, yeah, let's see. So here's, here's a part I want to say. Um, so Frank Bartleman, here he is. He's, he's travailing. He's, he's going into the, the, uh, the throne room of the Lord and just calling heaven down to earth. And, uh, and it's interesting that all those around him, and it talks about even, even his wife and his closest friends, all those around him, they basically said, hey, you're, you're missing it. Uh, you don't, you're, this isn't what you need to be doing. And uh, they kind of tried to talk him out of it, and, 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 um, but he, he, he would not relent. He would not stop. And um, even the church, there was a church that he was at called the New Testament Church, and this is where uh, Brother Smalley, he was the one that went over to 
to the Welsh Revival and was stirred by it and then came back. And, uh, and Frank Bartleman was in his church, but it said that, this is what it says. It says that, uh, it says this church began to grow and then it began to take on many secondary interests, that th so many secondary interests that they started losing interest in prayer. And they started to drift from carrying the burden for revival. And so it says that Bartleman likewise drifted away from them. And, and many, it says, uh, many start strong, but do not endure long. Frank Bartleman was determined to pray until the fire of God fell, even if he had to do it alone. And there were many that stopped, many that not only stopped, but there was talks about the persecution that came, came against him. And then he wrote this, and he wrote this about five months before revival hit. Five months before. He, and, and he wrote it to basically stir people up because people were falling away. And they were just, they were like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. And he said this, he goes, heroes will arise from the dust of obscure and despised circumstances. Those names will be emblazoned on heaven's eternal page of fame. The Spirit is brooding over our land again as at creation's dawn. And the decree of God goes forth, let there be light. Brothers, sisters, if we all believe God, if we all believe God, can you realize what would happen? Many of us here are living for nothing else. A volume of believing prayer is ascending to the throne day and night. Los Angeles, Southern California, and the whole continent shall surely find itself before long in the throes of a mighty revival by the Spirit and the power of God. Five months before revival hit, but they weren't seeing it. And he was going, come on, let's go after this. We only need a few that are going to go after this, that are going to pray into this thing. So I just, I just felt that like, man, there's a stirring that the Lord is calling us to. I believe even there's, there's these times now where we're meeting on Tuesdays. We're meeting at the, in the morning at from 7 to 8. We're meeting from 12 to, to 1 every Tuesday. And then we're meeting from 6.30 to 8.30. And, uh, and I would encourage you, if you can come to those times... I, there, it's so cool. He talks about it in here. He's like, it's, it doesn't take a lot of people. It just takes a few that actually believe that the Lord can do this. He says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. He's like, imagine what we can do as we come together. It's that one can put 1,000 to flight, two put 10,000 to flight. So as we come together, it was Bartleman coming together with, with William Seymour that ignited, and it said ignited an explosion that went across the continent. Two men that said yes to the things of the Lord that ignited hearts of millions. What, what touches me about f that we have the dates, you know, Frank, it revivals, this was in like November that Frank Barlaman is writing this, that he's going to continue to contend, continue to press in. And then in, in, May. in May or March, March of, yeah, in March of the next year, March of, 2000, uh, of 1906, the revival breaks out. But William Seymour is still in Texas. In, he's in Houston, Texas in 
the time that Barlaman was praying for this. And so the Lord's lining things up and this lady hears uh, William Seymour preach in Houston and invites, she said, you should come to Los Angeles to my church. I mean, it's as simple as that. William Seymour goes and preaches at the church. They come back for the next meeting and the elders put a paddle, put a lock on the door and don't let him in because they disagreed with his preaching. So he just, he's in the town for a month. He's like, well, I better find someplace to preach. So he just goes and he's staying with a person. He goes, can we just start a prayer meeting at your house? The guy was like, sure. And it was in that prayer meeting after being rejected at the church that they start to contend and labor and the Lord starts to move. It was in that house that that Azusa Street Revival started, basically. But what I'm saying is Frank Bartleman was praying for it and the Lord was setting up these He's playing 10-dimensional chess. He's playing chess on a level that we don't get. And he's going, okay, this piece needs to get here. This piece needs to get here. This piece needs to get here. But he's responding to men's prayers of, Lord, pour up revival. Lord, break through. Okay, well, I need Seymour in Los Angeles. So I'm going to send this lady. And then William Seymour and Barlam are going to meet. And then this thing's going to explode. God's doing that right now as we pray. He really is. There are prepared vessels. There are those who have labored, and he is going to put the pieces together, but when God puts it together, he does it in such a way where man can't take credit, where man goes, that wasn't us, and God goes, yes, that's the whole point. I'm going to get all the glory. I'm going to get all the accolades. I'm going to get all the praise, and what was so cool was what marked William Seymour and what marked Frank Bartleman, if you read about them and if you read biographies of them, the, the most spoken phrase about William Seymour was not his powerful preaching, was not his, his he, and he was a powerful preacher, he was an amazing man of the word, but it was his humility and his prayer life. That's all people talked about. He's such a humble man, and he prays so much. My goodness, I want that testimony. I'm just like, Lord. Um, I'll let you go back to here. And then, Tracy, why don't you come up and you can, you know. I'll just finish with these two statements here. Uh, I feel like, first of all, when the Lord wants to do something, um, He's going to do it. And when it begins, uh, He's going to do it His way. And um, th I thought this was interesting. Just hear these words. It says, uh, there was also a devotion to allowing the Holy Spirit to oversee the meeting. And you see the leaders, uh, they, were, they would allow the Holy Spirit to actually lead the meeting. They didn't have an agenda. They didn't have a plan. But it says, when presumptuous men would try to use the meeting for their own platform, strange things would happen to them. Some would lose their breath so that they could not speak. Others would forget what they wanted to say. They'd stand up, and then they'd sit back down. Some even went blind for a while. According to Bartleman, no one got away with presumption in the early meetings. This is so important, and it's what we're actually, it's what we've been doing is just, is really, as we, as we even, as we do our Sunday mornings, as we have these meetings, there's no plan. We don't plan these things out in advance. We just go, okay, God, what are you stirring in our hearts right now? What do you have for us right now in this place? And, and our heart is just to let him lead. So we lead by following, and that's the best way to lead. It's the only way to lead is we lead by following the Holy Spirit. And uh, the last piece here, 
this is, this is the sad part about this. So you have, um, this is later on in the book here, and it says, Seymour was called to lead in the revival, and for a time he exemplified the remarkable wisdom of just staying in prayer and letting the Lord do the leading. He actually kept a box in or his head. He kept his head in a box during the meetings so that his prayer would not be distracted by all that was going on. So he he literally put a box over his head and uh, I was we were joking as we were started worship. I was like I'm just going to stick that box over my head of <laughs> <laughs> you guys would think I'm nuts, but he would just put that a box over his head so that there was no distractions. He could hear exactly what the Lord wanted to do, and then he would take the box off, and he would just lead. And uh, it says, however, the fierce persecution that raised up against the movement soon pressured him into an increasingly protectionist stature. Gradually, he allowed more and more control of the meetings to be taken over by a few leaders. Soon, they were following a program for the meetings. Those who were witnesses said that just as gradually as the revival began, the Holy Spirit seemed to depart. I'll just leave you with this. <laughs> it is in all that we do, whether revival is hitting, whether it's not, uh, we can never, we can never create a program out of the things that the Lord is doing, and we can never try to establish or set the ways of the Lord. We're to walk in the ways of the Lord, and so I just want to encourage us that that we don't ever try to create a program for anything, but we actually let the Holy Spirit do what He wants to do in this place. We can, we can, we we plan things in our heart. We set things like. We get in the Word. I mean, even when, you know, when we, whether, whatever we're preparing for, we prepare our heart, but what we don't do is prepare an agenda. We don't prepare a plan, and we don't stick to a plan. We say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? And if He changes it up, and if we look stupid because it didn't go well, or, it, you know, it doesn't, you don't have everything just functioning the way we need it to function, so be it. This is His house. It's His church. We're all his people, and our job is just to follow his leading. So. I'll take that one. Mine doesn't echo. I don't feel like I have power or authority. I know. We, I don't. <laughs> yep. Let's, yeah. So I'll be quick. I, the, um, yeah, everything that, that's been said, I'm just like, I'm not going to repeat, but humility and prayer is like the key of the day, like if nothing else. One thing else I saw, though, was the unity. Um, if anybody read Tommy Welchel's book, The uh, Azusa Street Revival, uh, um, yeah, it's amazing. There's hundreds of, literally hundreds of testimonies. And what it is, and the reason I'm saying unity is, decades later, almost a half a century later, the same 50 or 60 core, if you will, a great majority of them all lived in a, in a community together still a half a century later. It's called Pisgah. It's just north of LA. Isn't that amazing? And here, Tommy Welchel, who wrote the book, and they re he released it in 2013. We were in the midst of a move of God ourselves at our church, uh, a small revival, if you will. And and in the midst of this, I started reading this, but I thought I'd just read one quick story from, I love how the chapters are. Each chapter is dedicated to a different sister or brother 
that Tommy Welchel sat. And so he was a young boy, and we'd go to this Pisgah where this community was, and he would sit at the feet of all of then kids. It was all teenagers, guys, teenagers and, and, and 20-somethings. That's it. And they weren't like 30, 40. It wasn't like this, hey, I, we've got it all figured out. I've got a lot of wisdom. I've got 50 years under my belt. We're talking about teenagers and, and kids in their 20s for the most part. But I love, I love how they, they break up each chapter, but this chapter is 15. It's a, the the, the uh, title of it is, Let the Children Come to Me. <laughs> I love that. And uh, it was, say hello to Sister Dundee. He always introduces them in each chapter. So I'll skip forward, though. And uh, Sister Dundee was close to 80 years old when Tommy met her and was sitting at her feet, and she recounted all these things. It says that Sister Dundee began her stories by telling about the crippled child on crutches about seven or eight years old, brought to the meeting by her mother. The child had normal-sized legs but wore braces and needed crutches to walk. So this is like from birth. The little girl told Sister Dundee that she had been prayed for before. Key. She'd been prayed for before, but nothing had happened. Sister Dundee sat down and talked to her and explained that if she got healed, it would bring great glory to Jesus, Kia, as well. She told the child, you are supposed to get healed at Azusa. Wow. The little girl listened to her and said, okay, pray for me. Sister Dundee said, has anyone ever taken your braces off before praying for you? No. Sister Dundee said, well, that needs to stop. Together, they took the braces off while she was sitting down. And then Sister Dundee took the braces and crutches over to the other side of the room. <laughs> this is where I'm going with this. And came back to her. So she went all the way back across the room, down uh, completely away from her, out of sight. She gently smiled at the girl and said, now you can't get those back because I won't bring them back to you. I will keep your mother busy so she can't get them either. You're just gonna have to get healed. <laughs> Sister Dundee assured, darling, we've got, a glorified, we've got a glorified Jesus. It would break his heart if you didn't get healed. Tears welled up in the little girl's eyes. She almost started to cry. Sister Dundee told her, all that is left for us to do is to start to pray and obey Jesus, and you will be healed. Then Jesus will get the glory. The little girl agreed, and Sister Dundee prayed for her. Within a few moments, the little girl said that she felt something in her feet, something she had never felt before. Sister Dundee told her that stand up and to start trying to move her feet. The little girl said, I can't. Sister Dundee greatly responded, you need to try. You could see the excitement rise as the little girl started to move her feet up and down. She looked down and started doing a dance, like a little stomp. Then she started screaming that she was healed. Sister Dundee turned her loose, and she went dancing and stomping all over the warehouse, healed and whole. See, this, this is one of hundreds of testimonies, like, in that book. Like, if you haven't, if you want to read about just cool testimonies. It would be a good one for audio. I was talking to Marcus. It's like sometimes, uh, you know, testimonies are easy to listen to on audio, but you get heavy scripture. It's really tough to listen. You got to kind of see it and read it, but this would be a good one for audio. Like you're in the car and yeah, I, I, 
it'd be interesting to see what happens in your car in that moment. My point is this, is Sister Dundee didn't leave an option. Uh, you've heard me maybe say it before, but like Elisha burned the plow and killed all the oxen. You know, he, he like burned all the ships like Cortez. If we leave ourselves an option, we'll always take the out or we'll always take the option. Does that make sense? And, um, you know, like Abraham and Sarah, they left themselves an option. And what did they do? They took the option in Hagar, right? It's just, it's, it's natural or it's, it's just human psyche or mindset that we would do that and take the option. To, 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 so anyway, I, I know God always leaves us an out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, and I'll read the Passion Translation, and I'll wrap up. It says, we all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. But God, and this is the Passion Translation, but God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. So I had a dream right when I was reading this book in the middle of 2013, right when it was released. And I was actually at the warehouse at Azusa Street. I remember it was like an old barn. It reminded me of a barn that I used to go at my uncle's uh, farm in his barn. Down below, they used to have a storage, and those ceilings were really low. And there was these little hoses in the dream sticking out of the ceiling, and they were like misting. You know those misters when it's really, really hot? It was like that. And there was this complete total fog. But what it was was the Shekinah glory. How many of you know that there was the firemen had to come to there weekly, if not more times than that, because they were getting calls because they thought the, the, the warehouse was on fire. It was the Shekinah glory setting and resting upon this place. Pretty crazy, right? And so anyway, in this dream, in this dream, I saw all these people getting healed. And as I woke up out of the dream, and I'll cut it short so we can finish up here, but I felt like the Lord said, you'll see this in your lifetime. I he said, you'll see this in your lifetime. Praise God, right? And so I'm in this moment like where I, I shared this two weeks ago when I was back on vacation uh, at the beginning of June. I was taking a drive from Minnesota over to Wisconsin, and the Lord said this clear, and I, I texted it to Mike and Marcus, and I shared it two weeks ago. God said, are you all in? And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about what's your all in. Does anybody remember that? Yeah. What's all in? All in looks like a little bit different for everyone. For William Seymour, all in was putting a box on his head right, and looking ridiculous and stupid and probably, right, but God said, I'll use the silly things of the world to confound the wise. <laughs> In a time, as Mike said, where, right, where, where African Americans are not seen, right, I'll use those seemingly weak things of the world to shame the strong, so on and so forth. So, amen? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I can pray. Yeah, let's go. Lord Jesus, I thank you. God, I thank you that you do it again. I know what you'll do for one person, you'll do for another. You're a sovereign God. You'll move where you want, when you want, how you want. God, I thank you that your eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those that are saying yes in this season. And not just those that are saying yes, but just as Mike uh, testified and witnessed earlier, it's those that would say yes, but then walk the process out that wouldn't fall out in the process. They would actually 
actually intensify the heat, if you will, and walk into it and actually grind and go deeper into the very thing that you're calling us into, Lord. So, God, I just released that. God, I thank you that even as you spoke to me that in that dream in 2013, you said you'll see this in your lifetime. God, I thank you, God. I thank you for a move of your spirit, God, amongst your children. Your word says that you go before us in all things. And, God, I thank you that you're going before, God, us in all these things. Even as, they, as Mike said it earlier too, Lord, that, that, that there were so many moving pieces or, or uh, this was Marcus. It was like an ultimate chess game, uh, match times 10 where there were, you had to think 20 moves ahead just to, God, you're doing all of that in front of us, Lord, preparing a way for what's to take place. And, God, I even recall, God, you said this. When, when we, we had one witch of two witches that pulled up on a Saturday morning for the food bank, and, and one of them got saved and baptized in the Spirit, God, I thank you that on that morning I walked away and said, stop praying for revival. It's here. So, Lord, I thank you. It may, don't despise small beginnings. I thank you, God, for small beginnings, Lord. And, God, we press into that small thing, and we'll work from there. But, God, we just press in for more of you, keeping the main thing the main thing. All eyes on you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just in these last few minutes, I just, I feel like let's just gather together in, in groups and just, even if it's for two or three minutes, and just ask the Lord to put a fire in our hearts. I feel like something that he said, uh, that uh, he, <laughs> you guys don't know him, I, I'm thinking of who he is, of Corey Russell, when he was here, he said, uh, he said he, he, was gonna, he felt like the Lord was going to establish 100 million Nashorites. And, uh, and I feel like he's raising up Nashorites in this time that are going to travail, that are going to be those that actually call this in. Uh, and even, you know, I feel like sometimes when Tracy said he's gonna, that the Lord gave him that promise that, that he's going to see this in his lifetime, I'm going to say this is not a guarantee. None of this is ever guaranteed. The Israelites said that they, you know, they said they were going to get to see the promised land. Their descendants got to see it. It happened, but it didn't happen in their time because their hearts weren't ready for it. And, and so I feel like when the Lord gives us something like that, it's a promise to say, yes, this is what I have for you. Our job is not to go, well, I hope it happens. Our job now is to go, Lord, yes, we say yes to all the promises that you have. They're all in Christ, and now we press into those things, and we call those things, and we call those things down. We say we want to see revival. Why do we say we want to see revival? It's God's heart to reveal himself to the world. When we capture his heart, it's not like, wow, we want to see revival so we can just see the miraculous things, and we go, this is so cool, this is a revival. No, what we're actually praying for is that we, his heart would actually be, the, the very things that are on his heart, we would actually do. We are the ones that are going to bring revival. It's going to start when we say yes to the things of God and actually begin to walk in his ways. So I just feel like, let's do this. Let's say yes to the very thing that are on, that, that's on God's heart and say, God, here we are, send us. We will go. We will do this. We will be the ones that actually will, will carry the very heart of God into the world right now, in this very time. God wants it now. 
He just is looking for a people that will say yes. So can we just pray into that? And this scripture, let me close with this scripture. It says, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. I believe that the Lord wants to do this. He's going to direct our hearts into the Father's love, and He's going to give us the perseverance of Christ to persevere. The Holy Spirit's going to be the one to come alongside us and, and lead us in this, and we're going to see revival in this land. Amen.